Shaking being in front of others, incomprehension on their faces, and a turmoil in my eyes. Hurt and blame, those are not at stake. Rather, putting on the foreground material reality, which occulted is not considered. Great debates and discussions, great ideas, ideas. I recall the bodies incurred costs, humiliated beings, broken bones, stained dignities. Mere objects of playful exchanges were talking politics. They thought theoretical when I saw the physical. Getting up without tripping, I have never done. Physical reality bathes my words, forms my point. If only they could acknowledge their locations and discourses, Detached, I'm not. Being financially well-off does not mean that your ideas are pure of all determinism. 
In your words appears your condition, where you come from, where you speak from. But the whiteness of your skin, combined with a certain material ease, gives the illusion of a statement naked of all premises, pure and objective knowledge, rational and reflexive, at all time, at any place, for any topic. If my skin color and my material reality condition mean many terms, the same goes for you. Although history has made you thinkers, never forget that your detachment comes from a condition, in this sense, from a very attachment, privilege. I have to remind you of yourself. You must, you too, break your chains. Wow. You are listening to Student Radio Maastricht, and you just heard Sawariahi's open letter that she wrote to the student community here in Maastricht. Um, today we are going to discuss what it is to be a minority here among academia in this city that we are in. And we're joined by Sarah herself, as well as Elena and Kwesi. Hello. 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 Also, by the way, the song that you just heard was also by Moses Sumney. The song is called Quarrel. Highly recommend. So beautiful. I yeah. loved it. Um, so, Sarah, you wrote this open letter. What inspired this? Um, I would say it's a, a set of different experiences. Uh, but I think my UM experience, um, and I'm now in my third year, and uh, as a matter of fact, I think it was kind of a intellectual but also personal move that I wanted to like do right now, um, because I think that uh, often we repress ourselves when it comes to poor relations, and I thought that it was important to me to kind of, okay, be like, okay, I have something to say, and I want to say it right now, um, and I like to write, so this was the best way for me, kind of, to address everyone. Well, it certainly got its point across, at least to me, at least. Great. <laughs> it was really nice. Yeah, right now, well, it's about time to move to another song. Um, but all the songs for this hour and the next hour are going to be about, they're going to have something to do with being a minority and academia in general. Um, so the next song is by Laura Mvula. The song is called That's All Right.
Hello. That you're listening to Student Radio Maastricht on 107.5 FM RTV Maastricht. Um, this is Zaki, your host and tech for today. I'm joined by Sarah, Helena, Hello. and Kwesi. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So for this first section, I really wanted to talk about how it really feels like the emotional weight of being a minority in academia and talking about all of these topics. Um, if I had to put one word on the table, I think it would be draining. It's just draining. It's just a lot of energy because you process things, you go through things, but you don't want to make anyone comfortable, obviously. I think here the PBL system plays a lot, right? You're um, 10 in a room. Uh, everyone looks at each other. You know, if you talk, everyone looks at you. Um, so if you have a majority, like let's say a white middle class or upper middle class majority in front of you and you want to make a point um sometimes you just don't want to you know this is kind of something also like it seems like you have to go on a battlefield somehow Uh, for instance i'm not someone shy um and i think i kind of have some um easiness also to articulate my thought when it comes to race and and class for instance but still for me you know i would be shaking Uh, when i write shaking being in front of others that's literally in you know in you can really see people don't understand um, because for some people it's you know one learning goal in a task they don't care there's nothing at stake per se you know yeah I can definitely definitely identify with that um, yeah I mean at the conservatory it's somewhat different because we're not talking about all these like very intricate topics although once in a while race does comes up it does come up and so there's always the feeling when as soon as like there's something like black American music and then everyone's eyes turn to you mm-hmm. and it's just like why am I expected to speak for everyone here? Or everyone, every black person, you know? Yeah. Uh, Helena, Helena do, you have, do you also have a similar experience with this at all? Or? Mm, well, I have the privilege of not uh, really having this experience, I have to say. I mean, um, I kind of get it like on a, on a theoretical level, though I, I never experienced it myself, but I can imagine that in the PBL session, uh, yeah, it's hard to speak up, you know, if you don't feel that, uh, if you don't feel comfortable and if you don't feel that the people there uh, are willing to listen. Uh, so I think that that must be draining, as you said, and it must be also really frustrating because uh, especially with the PBL uh, kind of uh, system, that's the way to learn. So if you don't manage to have a produ- productive discussion and if you don't manage to get your point across, then you're actually losing a lot in the uh, in a chance uh, to to have in your class, you know? Yeah. So, yeah, Kwesi, did you uh, or have any experiences like this so far? Because we just started this year, so we're a bit newbies, I think, yeah. in this, uh, in the academia in general. But, uh, and also, I think also another privilege we have is our study is very... Uh, Diverse. Yeah. Yeah. But, I don't know. I mean, for me, I haven't had that problem because I feel as though when we have PBL sessions, I always, you know, have a productive conversation and I get my points across. But I do imagine or I do feel a certain way sometimes when I would like to say certain things. And I feel as though I have to censor myself because I don't want to come across as a certain way or, you know, feel as though I'm just trying to push a certain issue on the table. So I do understand it from that perspective. But in personal experience, so far, I haven't had that problem. That's good, man. Yeah, I'm <laughs> I very mean, outspoken, I guess. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm kind of the same, you know, like, so often in tutorials, I was like, okay, I'm not going to talk, you know, lazy or whatever. And in the end, I end up talking. <laughs> um, and when you do, even there, you know, especially because I do, you know, social sciences mainly, I'm doing arts and culture at FASOS. Um, so pretty much everything we deal with is society. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but the point is, uh, it's yeah, mainly from a theoretical perspective, while for you, you're actually concerned. So when for people this is a topic as, you know, for someone else, it can actually resonate a lot with your own life. Yeah. And the point is, um, you know, we have, I think, to remember that we are in this setting that is actually privileged, but also that people are benevolent. Yeah. Um, but benevolence can go hand in hand with um, unconscious bias and, and racism and all of this. And um when i speak i usually speak a bit loudly uh you can directly see that there's also an emotional weight you know that goes with it and um unfortunately this kind of fits also the narrative that we grew up with you know that basically someone who's able to articulate his thought has to do it with calm and this is 
what shows and emphasizes neutrality, objectivity, and all of this. Um, while everything I would say in a sort of way would be linked with opinion more than uh, facts or information. Yeah. Um, so, so this is also, I think, when you have the lucidity to see that, this is what is draining to see. Um, and you're alone and you feel that you're alone. And so if the majority thinks you're the one being crazy or a bit over the top, you're gonna be so. Um, so yeah, I think this is, this is draining. And I think because there's this also, um, if we want to come back to poor relations, you have kind of internalized inferiority, I think, unconsciously, um, that you want or not. And then you have also the naturalized and internalized uh, entitlement of the white majority when it comes to race. And so those two playing together in a tutorial mm -hmm. room, that's something. I think it's also something different online and offline yeah. as well. You, for, you feel more vulnerable in real life than uh, behind a screen. And all of that plays. So you really have to push yourself and to you know, tell yourself, okay, Sarah, you can do it. You're right to put your words on the table if you feel that something you know, has to be said. Uh, but you have to fight you know, and to remember yourself. I'm legitimate, I'm not crazy. And this is actually draining as well. well. Well, thank you so much for saying that, for saying all these things. Right now, it's about time to move to another song, um, and our next song, uh, talking about you know self censorship. This song is kind of about that in a bit of a more romantic sense. Um, this is "Your Best American Girl" by Mitski. was Your Best American Girl by Mitski. Uh, you're listening to Student Radio Maastricht on RTV Maastricht 107.5 FM. Um, we are joined by Sarah. Hello. Helena. Hello. 
and Kwesi. Hello. <laughs> we are all discussing the experience of being a minority in these academic situations. And we had a really fun discussion while the song was playing, actually. Yeah, we were talking about, you know, how this expectation to be calm in all these situations. Uh, does anyone want to more elucidate more about this on this subject? Um, I mean, I can I can start because I think I, I brought it up uh, during the during the break. Um, uh, well, it's a bit long to explain, but basically, I've encountered a situation in, in uh, uni in which uh, uh, we were discussing about uh, having. Uh, to express our ideas calmly, specifically, and like that—that—that that, that would be the only way that we will be uh, heard, in somewhat, somewhat. And uh, I figured that, uh, well, in the end, the discussion. Uh, my point was that uh, I think, you know, calmness, calmness, or like rudeness, are such like cultural, uh, cultural aspects, you know. Because, for example, for me, coming from a Latina. Uh, background being Brazilian Italian you know we are loud we are not necessarily gonna speak calmly if we feel passionately about something where it's gonna show you know and I don't and I think for example yeah this idea that we have to be calm and composed always uh, to be taken seriously is kind of like a Western European or Northern European kind of uh, ideal so that was uh, what brought about the discussion Sarah you wanna jump on that yes for sure <laughs> um, I would say that because often especially when you touch upon topics such as race gender and class um, that's often what you're told um, I was told so many times you know Sarah you have good thoughts just bring them on the table with calm and you'll be heard that's the way you'll be heard and that's the way maybe change can happen um, my thought on this is the following I think that um, when you actually want to communicate your experience uh, of discrimination or of othering, um, if you have to sugarcoat it to make other people comfortable, and when you talk with calm, you actually sugarcoat it. Um, and for me then, no, because you never hear me. Because for me, if, you want to, if I want you to understand, I want you to understand my situation. And my situation is not about flowers and rainbows and all being friend. Discrimination is about bodies, is about blood, is about tears, is about violence. So if people are not even able to take kind of the violent tone that can, you know, be sensed somehow, you know, for me, we'll, don't, we'll never go anywhere. So for me, this thing of, of you have to be calm is, is more of a trap than anything. Yeah. Because you're told yeah. this is the only way of succeeding. I'm not sure so much. Um, yeah, that's my thought on it. <laughs> yeah, I definitely agree. I think... Um, we are raised in a society where we feel as though we always have to be calm to get our points across and that's not necessarily the case and I don't think people realize how much this can have an influence on your life in adulthood because for me, I always have this voice in my head second guessing how I want to express myself and I don't think I should second guess myself sometimes. I feel as though I should be able to say what I want to say without disrespecting anyone but I just have this internal fear of being labeled as this angry black person and to be quite honest I didn't have this until I reached in Europe before there was never a problem but until I reached in Europe I'm always conscious of what other people may think of me what they may say of me and that kind of stuff so I always have to like you know try to articulate myself in certain ways just to make other people more comfortable which I think isn't necessarily the right thing to do at, the, at all the time because you're not comfortable in your daily life there's yeah, so many exactly. so many times your offense and you have to take it in when i was saying it's draining this is also part yeah. of the draining because you have to take everything in not react and when you talk about this second voice that you have in your mind i think this is pretty much legacies of history you know because as a matter of fact we can be proud i can be proud of being a called woman right now but i was born in a society and this affects me anyway and unfortunately i think that i internalized and maybe you did too i don't want to project something mm -hmm. on you or, or what but that you know, there is one reference, um, being the white, et cetera, et cetera. And this thing with rationality and being independent and being detached is actually glorified. Yeah. Um, and so you are wrong. And I think this also goes hand in hand with kind of the medicalizations of people of color. Uh, people of color are crazy. Those emotions, yeah. they're crazy. They're not a able to think rationally. This goes also into the scaling of races, you know. Um, and I think that this little voice is just symptomatic of this. And, and to me, my own opinion is like, you should fight against this little voice mm -hmm. because 
people should accept you as you are, you know? And if something makes you cry, I don't see why you would smile about it. Um, yeah, this is, I think, really, I mean, maybe we're in, at this, you know, time in history where people are actually fed up, you know, with pretending. And um, for instance, when I wrote my letter, uh, some of my friends told me, oh, Sarah, you're not afraid that white people are gonna get crazy because it's somehow, you know, you point out white people. And I was like, no, I'm just reminding them they are part of humanity too. They're not flying above us. We're not, all, you know, they are also social beings. And I think this is, yeah, kind of a turn <laughs> I think people should take right now. Yeah, um, today I had a conversation with a friend actually, and I always <laughs> reference a movie that we saw in school, Stop Filming Us. Oh, yeah. And I feel as though, like, we live in such a world where there's so many knowledge available to people to access and that kind of stuff. And some people, they're just ignorant and they don't want to accept the fact that they, can con they are contributing to the problem. And I feel as though some white people, still up to this day, don't believe that there's something such as white privilege. And they also believe that there's this white savior, <laughs> you know, and even something saying something like that is like kind of touchy. It's like you have to be on eggshells. You know, I should just be able to say it, but I have to be like, try to say it in a nice way because I don't want to offend anyone, you know. And it's, it's a struggle, even at university, like going into university as a minority, I already had the mindset that I have to work 10 times as hard, harder than my white counterparts. You know, I had to work 10 times as hard just to be seen and heard. And it shouldn't necessarily be like that. I don't know if you guys had the same, well, ex experiences. I can actually speak to that specifically. I mean, growing up in the United States, uh, most black kids are taught that you have to work twice as hard in order to get half as much. Mm -hmm. And so, like, just that, and that whole thing itself. But we also, that's all right now, we also are running a little bit behind, so we gotta go to a song right now. Mm -hmm. We're gonna continue this discussion next time and talk about, like, really how we have to cope with this, the things that we have to do. Um, but the next song is our Dutch, our Dutch song for this hour uh, by the artist Sevedaliza. The song is called Oh My God. Yo 
Hello, you are listening to Student Radio Maastricht on RTV Maastricht 107.5 FM. Um, we are talking about what it is to be a minority amidst academia, and I'm joined with Sarah. Hey again. Elena. Hello. And Kwesi. Bonjour. <laughs> wow. We've had we've had a lot of this t- discussion over the break about you know white saviorism, and you mentioned this film "Stop Filming Us," which uh, so is a Dutch filmmaker who went to uh, to Eastern Africa, like Sudan, um, and at one point the people are literally telling him, Yo, "Stop filming us! Like stop filming us!" Because if you actually wanted to help us, you would give us the cameras and have us film things ourselves, and let us actually talk about what our what the problems are as we see them. And I think that's something that really says a lot about what the issue is with everything here. And I think I'm going to talk a lot more about this in the second hour because this is about framing. In the second hour, I'm going to talk more about framing and the double standards that come as a result of that. But right now, I want to talk really more about, um, so how can we cope with this? Like all of the things that we have to struggle with as part of as being a minority in just the society and the world and particularly in academia where there you have all the stratification between the students that are now suddenly in the same place i mean for me i think if you have a good support system around you it helps i mean i've been fortunate fortunate enough to have a good group of friends from my program who like literally encourage me to be my authentic self so that seems to be a good support system for me I don't know if it will help for everyone, but that's a, f- a way in the right direction, at least in my opinion. No, I totally agree, especially at uni. I'm going to talk about uni right now. Um, to have peer support, this is the key. This yeah. is the key. Uh, I think we we're talking about it before of how, like, if you see that there are many people of colors in your class, you get crazy. Like, this happened to me once. It was an elective course, othering Europe. Obviously, we took it. And um, five friends of mine were in there. But literally, almost all people of color, you know? Uh, from my promotion and and we were literally so happy but then we realized that being happy about this was actually symptomatic you know why should we be happy you know it's cool because we're friends but we were happy because we're people of color together and we knew this was about to change things you know I I was fortunate enough also like during those three years to have a friend of mine Jamie who's a Dutch, a black Dutch girl, and she was like in most of my tutorials. So, you know, you could look at each other, you could feel for each other, and just to have someone in the tutorial, um, in which, you know, in her eyes, you can see, no girl, I feel you, you're not crazy, you're right, this is key. And I think then, you know, the better help is yourself as well. You have to kind of deconstruct everything that you've been through and to know that, okay, maybe I will have to work as twice, you know, to get the same. Um, but I think in the end it just shows you have the strength, you have the resilience, uh, you have all those capacities because you have to develop them through life and through experience of discrimination. So I think believing in yourself, uh, building this trust and this um, legitimacy again um, is important. Do you think uh, that uh, pressuring the university to address these issues is uh, useful at all? So um, I'm actually a student representative uh, at FASOS, um, and I'm also the chair of DIAS, which is an internal working group, and it stands for diversity, integration, uh, sustainability, and accessibility. Um, and I'm also in, in the program committee. Um, what, from what I see, I think that institutional change is hard to get. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. To get uh, you know, more uh, a varied set of, of uh, sources, for instance, this is hard. Yeah. Um, so then, you know, little initiatives, but, but to be honest, academia is such a hard thing to change. I think some people are working, you know, towards this. And even with post-colonial departures, I think like 30, 50 years ago, it already started. People started shaking tables and being like, oh my God, I think colonialism is, is you know, uh, done. But even in our post-colonial era, we still have the same dynamics yeah. that has been kind of redistributed um, in the new context, but we still have this. Um, so I think, you know, it's moving, but it takes a long, long time. And at uni, you can pressure, but here again, all those type of legitimacy, if you're in front of a white staff, yeah. you know, those poor relations, they play on you, they play on you. Yeah. And even you can tell yourself no, and you can be convinced. I'm convinced of what I'm saying right now, for instance. Mm-hmm. Put me in front of a white crowd, I'm not sure I'd be as confident, unfortunately, you know? Yeah, because I remember in my first uh, period, I realized that we had a European studies, we had global studies, and I asked one of the lecturers, like, 
why don't we have like an African studies? You know, because I think Africa has so many history that we can use in um, today's society. And they found it to be a, a good idea as well. But, you know, getting this point across to the board is very daunting, I would like to believe. Yeah. And I mean, even, you know, when you talk about adding perspectives, it's not for me, sometimes it's just about adding perspective within the West as well. For instance, mm -hmm. I'm a Western girl. My perspective is Western, you know, uh, but I think that the West has not updated itself on its own identity and it has not updated the world for sure. Um, and so even in that perspective, for me, this is also I feel othered when when I had, you know, I asked to have some of our perspective put on the table and I'm told, no, this is a you know, West-centered uh, bachelor program, which I understand, but the West is not only about white people nowadays. Yeah, and I mean, since definitely. a long time, <laughs> you know? Definitely. And this is also othering, because I'm born, raised in the West, but when I, you know, ask for another perspective, it's as if I was from the Middle East myself, for instance, which mm -hmm. is not the case. So, yeah. Oh, yeah, I definitely agree with the idea that these are not just, you know, just instructional issues, and these structural issues are really difficult to, to change. For example, like the, we were talking about earlier with the way how, like, we kind of censor ourselves to others. This is something that I experience myself, particularly a lot on social media. I, I, I used to be that person that would just, you know, be very good at Facebook arguments, you know, writing essays and comment sections to, like, you know, explain people why they're wrong. And I realized that I would generally get better reactions because I'm just, you know, I just naturally speak in standard American English. That's just what I default to. And I just, you know, I write things like I'm writing an essay and I don't really put that much emotion behind my words. I always try to base everything specifically in logic. But that's also an issue because, you know, if, some, if there's something that's affecting me, like affecting me specifically in a very practical way and I have firsthand experience with this thing, who are you to tell me, tell me as someone who has never experienced this, who's whose knowledge on this is purely theoretical, who are you to tell me that my practical experience in this is not worth as much as your theory? Yeah, and I would just add on that point because what I kind of think is that um, racism, gender, uh, and all of this before being things that you can talk about theoretically, those are you know, material experiences. Yeah. You know, this is you being shaky, this is you, you know, um, crying, this is having your heart, you know, beat so fast because you feel pressured. And then you go on to the intellectual level and you can articulate. And, um, you know, often people say, yeah, white people can't understand. And I would answer to that, no, this is literally the only thing they can do. White people can only understand. And the only thing they can do then is to still acknowledge in their discourses, in their way of being, that on certain given issues, they don't get this material weight that other people have mm -hmm. um, and yeah, I just think this is the this is the point because this is something recurring, right? Oh, they can't understand. No, this is the only thing they can do, so they better do it. <laughs> I mean, I can't speak for other programs, but I can speak on behalf of my program in the sense that I mean, it isn't where it should be, but it has a lot of diversity, and we do have a lot of different perspectives, and I really do appreciate that because I feel as though these different perspectives bring such um, good information and such good knowledge towards us. I mean, I am from what is considered the global south in the Caribbean, and I feel as though I have so much to learn from, from the global north, and I feel as though they have a lot of knowledge to learn from me as well from the global south, because a lot of people in Europe have never visited the Caribbean. They just see the Caribbean as this destination spot, but it's actually just like everywhere else. We have our problems, we have our pros and cons as well. You know, so I would really like for the university to see it from that perspective and not just put it in like these diverse programs, but just in all the programs where you have students from all over the globe that can bring different perspectives to the classroom. I think that is an excellent point to make. Um, and it's also a good time to actually move on to our next song, which is by the artist Toon Yards. The song is called Gangsta.
tape for posterity. Ruining the tape. This is Student Radio Maastricht on RTV Maastricht, 107.5 FM. Um, yeah, we were talking about being a minority. I am joined by Sarah. Hello, hello. Helena. Hello. And, and Kwesi. Hello, hello, hello. Yeah, we're talking about really interesting topics, you know. Um, so right now we are ending and we're going to start moving into our cultural agenda because it is that time of the day. But... During the during the and during like the discussion that we always have during the songs, mm-hmm. um, Sarah, you made you referenced a really really interesting quote. Yeah. Um, so basically, we're talking about how uh, whenever there's protest or riots, you just hope it's not people of color or something. And this kind of echoes my experience as a French uh, person, uh, or you know, from a Muslim family. I I always fear something is going to be done in the name of Islam because I fear you know this is going to fall on me or something. And uh, this made me think of uh, one uh, of Trevor Noah's show, uh, in which it actually says uh, the ultimate white privilege is the following is to always be seen, regarded, and considered as an individual. While when you're a person of color, you always represent more. You always stand for a community, which explains then the fear, (laughs) because you have this way of the entire community on your shoulders, you know? Um, And I think this is also something that is hard to live, because as you were saying uh, about your experience at the conservatorium, for instance, um, when you say, you know, because I'm the black person, I have to talk about it. Uh, or because I'm the black American, I have to talk about this topic, you know? This is also hard because you could also argue like, you know, I'm an individual. If I don't want to talk about this, I should not talk about it. Or maybe you've never experienced anything about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But because you're a person of color, it's like, ah, uh, your time. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Um, so yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's a really excellent point and I think really pertinent and something I think to really keep in mind, particularly for the next hour when we talk about like all these double standards and how the structures of these classes and everything, you know, how it affects, you know, how we are seen and everything. Mm -hmm. But right now it's time to go to our cultural agenda. Okay, so today I will be taking over for the cultural agenda. So I just uh, wanted to remind everyone that today is uh, International uh, Holocaust Remembrance Day. So there are quite a few uh, initiatives uh, happening online obviously uh, to uh, let's say remember uh, and uh, Uni- UNICEF uh, Maastricht is organizing tomorrow an online lecture about the memoirs of uh, Holocaust survivors from Hungary and it's going to be at 6.30 so I recommend that you join that and also on the Diversity UM page you can find other um, links to, to events that are uh, relevant for for the date of today and uh, I think this is really important for also for the topic that uh, we're talking about because uh, anti-semitism is uh, deeply rooted in uh, white supremacy as well and uh, yeah so I think it's a chance for everyone to you know reflect and uh, you know yeah just take a moment to to think about the devastation that uh, this, these kinds of mentalities can uh, can have, and yeah, uh, so this is the the main uh, happenings of this week. Uh, next week, instead, there is the International Week of uh, 
Hugo School Zeit, and they are organizing a lot of uh, interesting uh, lectures as well. It's going to be on the 2nd and the 3rd of, um, of February. Uh, one of the lectures is um, about uh, the story of Fadi, a Syrian refugee in uh, Maastricht, and he is uh, also a member of Amnesty International Maastricht students. So check that out. And if you go on the International Week's uh, website, there's uh, all the, fu the full program. Yeah. Nice, <laughs> nice, nice. Um, beyond that, everybody stay home after nine o'clock. You know, we, are, we do have a curfew until the ninth at least. So keep that in mind. But yeah, tune in for the next hour when we talk about these double standards. We still have the same guests. And to close us out, we're gonna be listening to Mona Haidar, Barbarian. If they're civilized, I'd rather stay savage.